Hi, this is Savannah. And this is Brian from the Dorky Diva Show. And you're listening to Star Wars. The best place for below average Star Wars. The Dorky Diva Show presents... Why is this seat so much more comfortable? The long-awaited sequel to the adventures of the Zolandart audio drama. Have you seen the captain's datapad? Trying to work, Murph. Piloting the Zolandart by himself. You do understand the details of this particular job, correct? I've been on plenty of jobs like this. With you! Reldar Sias returns to a planet he thought he'd left behind for good. Is there a reason you didn't mention I was tagging along? Hopefully having you there will make others think twice about messing with me. Making new friends. Oh, you must be the pilot of the Zolan Dart, yes? I guess I am. And reconnecting with old ones. Reldar? Vera? What are you doing here? Until past grudges resurface. I'd be minding my own business if I were you. Well, if your business wasn't being handled right in front of my face, maybe I could mind my own business. We have to leave. Now. Why the rush all of a sudden? We're in trouble. If it isn't little Reldarsoyth. Hey, Yorick. <laughs> Long time no see. Rose already knows you're here. Oh. Look who decided to come home. Reldar must confront his origin. I must admit, I never saw this as being a part of your past, Softshell. Or let it define his future. I will get what is owed to me, no matter the cost. Because what Roz is trying to do is wrong. Says you. My blasters. We're going to need these. Take that, Slavo. <laughs> Who do you think you are? The Adventures of the Zolan Dart, Episode 2, coming soon. Welcome to the Star Wars Show, the best place for below average Star Wars. I am the Geordie Jedi Pete. I am Jason Hondo Ling. And I'm Kat Rizyalka. And we are back to review part eight of the Ahsoka live action TV series streaming now on Disney+. Plus. It is the final episode of this season. It is called part eight, The Jedi, The Witch and The Warlord. Obviously written by Dave Filoni, who's written every episode of the season, and is directed by Rick Famuyiwa, obviously famous for doing a lot of the Mandalorian episodes, um, as well as becoming an executive producer on that series. Um, so almost one of the Lucasfilm family now. Uh, before we sort of dive into our thoughts on on the things that we've seen going on, obviously I'm just going to give a quick run-through of the episode. Um, so obviously episode 7 ends with... Ahsoka, Ezra and Sabine obviously being joyously reconnected um, and that is sort of the new threat for Thrawn I suppose is is the Jedi being reunited and then coming to get him so to confront the Jedi 
Morgan Ellsworth is gifted Mother Talzin's sword by the Great Mothers, as well as um, some powers of darkness and shadow. While this is happening, Ezra is constructing a new lightsaber um, using pieces from Hu Yang's um, lightsaber storage area. Um, there's a lovely moment where he's looking for a certain bit. It's a lightsaber emitter, and it's actually very similar, if not a duplicate of the one his master, Kanan Juris, had. Um, and there's a great moment where when Hu Yang realizes that Ezra's master was Caleb. Doom, obviously Kane and Juris, uh, he finds that piece for him. Um, there's a great moment there. After this moment, we kind of have the nice moments for too long. Um, TIE fighters attack the um, Jedi starship um, and it's downed. Um, essentially, Ahsoka and Ezra have to jump out the ship to protect the little naughty um, from being crushed by the, by the Jedi starship. Sabine's able to get some power out of the engine to crushed the TIE fighters, but then the ship is downed, um, which essentially leaves Ahsoka, Sabine, and Ezra um, to make their way to the Crimea, the Crimea which is throwing Star Destroyer um, on foot or, or riding riding some beasts um, and able to, to reach the Eye of Sion. Um, so they make their way there to attack. Um, Throne sees it coming. He says, prepare for ground assault. He actually orders the Star Destroyer to shoot down on the surface of the planet, um, but they're able to get inside of the Night Sister Stronghold. Um, they're confronted by Morgan Ellsworth and the Night Troopers. Um, after defeating the Night Troopers, the Great Mothers resurrect the Night Troopers. Um, do we get some really chilling shots here? Almost like zombie stormtroopers. Um, when this happens, Ahsoka says, I'll deal with these. You guys get a throne. Um, the Star Destroyer starts to take off. Sabine uses the force to help Ezra jump to the Crimeas, very similar to how Ezra and Kanan would use the force, sort of the I'll push you, you pull me type of thing. Um very much master and apprentice like. Um and Ezra is able to find his way onto the Crimea. Um and Ahsoka stays behind to help Ahsoka and they kill Morgan Ellsworth and the Eye of Siren sort of jumps to hyperspace. Leaves Ahsoka, Sabine, and Huyang stranded on Paradia. Um, Thrawn and the Great Mothers arrive over Dathomir, and we sort of see them looking over the cargo hold full of these. I would say they look very much like space coffins, but who knows what they're filled with? They could be filled with cargo, they could be filled with dead Night Sisters, they could be filled with dead Stormtroopers, could be filled with dead Naughty. Who knows what they're filled with? We'll find out. Um, Ezra's obviously able to escape the Star Destroyer. Uh, in a stormtrooper disguise, he also seems to have the Jedi shuttle, some of the ones using the Clone Wars, and the same shuttle, the Jedi shuttle that um, Balin and Shin have been using at the beginning of the series. And he's able to reconnect on home one with Harris and do that and Chopper. And then we see Ahsoka, Sabine, and Hu Yang join the Naughty to make their new home in Paradia. Um, and they seem to be very much watched over by not just. Uh, I don't know if it's Morag or Morori, um, sort of the the bird of the of the sister character from the Mortis arc, um, and obviously Bionic and Skywalker, and Shin, who's obviously survived, joins the bandits. Uh, while we see Bane and Scar is guided to a mountain, which is the statue of the Mortis gods. Although 
looks like the mountain's been destroyed a little bit as the daughter is missing. Obviously, we know the daughter died um, or gave her life, shall we say, to save Ahsoka in the Clone Wars. So there is just the, the father of the son represented here and a damaged bit, which we assume did have the daughter on. But that's pretty much how the episode ends. It ends sort of ties up Thrawn and Ezra getting back to our galaxy. It sort of shows us, sort of opens up the fact that Ezra and uh, that Sabine and Ahsoka, sorry, are stuck on Paradia. And it looks like that's going to be the next two adventures. We're going to get some sort of adventure, whether it's a movie, a TV show, who knows, a comic, a book, telling us how Sabine and Ahsoka sort of deal with maybe the looming threat of Balin and trying to get this power of the Mortis Gods. And on the other side of the story, we're going to have, obviously, the return of Thrawn as heir to the Empire and how that goes down. Let's just dive in. We'll go to you first, Jason, sort of. Obviously, just overall, what are your overall thoughts on this episode as a, not just as an episode on its own, but also as like, as the finale part of this series of Ahsoka? I think everything that we wanted to and expected to happen, happened. But there was also some really great unexpected things thrown in there um, that just, made me love this episode um obviously i think i probably felt the same as the majority of people i've spoken to is as much as i enjoyed it and loved it they've just left us wanting more and more of this um which is brilliant um but obviously with the current climate with what's been going on in the film industry it's now a case of when are we going to get it and how's it going to go Obviously, um, I think a big thing that um, a lot of people have talked about and um, the way the episode ended with um, Shin and Balin in particular um, and with what happened, sadly, to Ray, it's like you, you sat there thinking, that is a beautiful shot. It's the last shot that we're going to see of Ray as that character. Um, and in some ways, I I hope they don't recast. Um, I I know the character could carry on quite easily, and we want to find out what he was looking for, and you know if he finds it. Um, obviously, it looks like he's a lot closer to what he was aiming for. Um, but I'm hoping maybe that side of things, just as you know, just to be a little bit loyal to his his portrayal of that character is maybe done in comic books or something like that so that the story can carry on but Ray's performance is the one because there are a lot of actors that could take on that role um, but I, I think he really really did make it his own and it was such a powerful performance um, that you know it, it was a tribute to everyone and then, um, yeah, the rest of the story, um, I loved the um, zombie troopers. Um, the scene where Ezra and Spine were fighting the two troopers before they got catapulted off. I just absolutely loved that um, because it, it reminded me of The Walking Dead when obviously part of the helmet had been smashed. 
and there was the zombified jaw underneath the helmet sort of snapping as if it wanted to get uh, um, to be. I just thought, oh, they, they, they've really gone to town with the zombie idea here. Um, obviously, there was a lot of magic, which I think brought out, did a lot for the whole episode. Um, and um, Morgan Elkwith's, um sort of final part to the, her story um, with the um, Lady Talzin, that was just absolutely brilliant. And um, obviously, um, the actress is famously the goddaughter of the famous martial artist Bruce Lee. Um, and I saw someone say that when they saw her get that sword, they thought, oh, we're finally going to get to see her. And the choreography and the fight sequence there um, reminded me a lot of the fight sequence that we'd seen with her and Ahsoka previously in um, The Mandalorian. But I just really, really enjoyed it. Um, you know, the way she clearly is a very, very skilled martial artist. Um, and again, you know, she's one of the one of the older actors in the series, but she carried herself so well and is so good in that role. Um, it was magical. Um, I think for me, as a character that I'd seen in The Mandalorian, I wasn't overly keen on her. Seeing her in this series, where she was a real genuine threat, I, um, you know, I just grew to love her as one of the bad guys. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have said, you know, this is the Night Sisters, there, there could be a way back for her. Um, but overall, the, you know, the way the series has ended, um, obviously, again, so much went on that um, I just really enjoyed it, just left me wanting more. Um, and now, you know, it's how is it going to be done? I've, I've got a few ideas of how it might happen yeah i think for me you know i know you you spoke i probably we probably have different thoughts on on ray on what they would do with being in school because I, I feel that the whole part of ahsoka and sabine being where they're meant to be because the sort happy that the strand are there because she says you know well, where we're meant to be is to stop whatever he's doing with the mortars gods so for me i'd rather recast because i don't think it takes away from anything ray's done like what Ray Stevens has done is, is there for us all to see. We've all talked about how awesome it is. We've always watched how awesome it is. The same as like the great sportsmen in the world, you know, they come and go and new generations come. And I think I think it dishonors the story if you don't recast someone and try to use old foot like if you just look at the rigmarole it caused with the Rise of Skywalker, where we had to use previous footage of Carrie from two previous movies. It, it it didn't work, do you know what I mean? It didn't allow you to forward anything. Um so I think for me it seems like that's tied into a sort of story, not just a side quest for Balin. So I think if we want the next story, the next step of a sort of journey, I think we need to recast him, in my opinion. Otherwise, you just need to pretend it never happened, which would be such a waste when you get such powerful shots like like that end one with him on top of the statue. Um, can't what were your thoughts on again? Just, just the episode as a whole, and sort of on on the ending of where and where we can go next. I think as a finale, it was masterfully done and Dave Filoni wrote it in such a way that there was so many references to across every 
generation of Star Wars that we've seen. And it had this sense of adventure, but also very much deeply rooted in the Star Wars mythos and the mythology that Dave Filoni himself has helped create throughout the Clone Wars, throughout Rebels. And a lot of people have said that Ahsoka is basically Rebels Series 5. And I think this episode in particular really felt like something from that Rebels era. There was crazy moments, there was funny moments, but it was all heart. It was all about the characters at the end of the day. And that came across so well. Uh, I definitely think my favourite part was also the part that grossed me out the most, which was those zombie death troopers. Um, that makes me want a Star Wars horror story in TV or movies even more, while still being grossed out completely by that scene. Death troopers are scary enough without insatiable hunger. And I loved how Fawn did escape in the end. He monologued. He had his villain monologue to distract Ahsoka and managed to get away, which felt very Fawn. Definitely. He talked his way completely out of it. And that was a great tactic by him. No, I mean, I think the entire series has been fantastic. And that ending was so well done. And every character had their part to play. Even though we don't see Shin and Balin as much, or hardly anything, every moment for the characters in the previous episodes has come to a culmination in this episode. And yeah, I just completely loved it. Let's sort of dive in and sort of dissect the episode. So let's stay with you, Kat. So just in more detail, sort of what were your thoughts on the on the opening of sort of Thrawn sort of, you know, I wouldn't say ask the mothers to make Morgan a stronger night sister, but, it, you know, it was implied. The fact they give her the the mother tells him blade and while that's going on we've got some synergy going on and as we have Ezra creating his own lightsaber on board the Jedi starship and also like what were your thoughts on where maybe Ezra's blue crystal came from yeah I think Morgan Elspeth has always been this little bit of a paradox of a character in the sense that she is a massive supporter of Fawn and she implies that she's I don't know worked with him in the past there's a lot of implication that she has history or respect for Fawn while there's never actually any proof of the two of them doing anything together so I think this part where she's imbued with Night Sister magic is not only a coming home for Morgan but it's like the ultimate act of faith for Fawn she is literally putting all her loyalty to the Night Sisters in the name of Fawn. It's a massive step for her character to be able to do that. And I think Fawn always has a lot of respect for the different cultures and beliefs of the galaxy, he himself being a Chiss. And there's this sort of subtle interest as he watches Morgan make this pledge 
And you can also see in his head, he's figuring out how best to work it to his advantage at the same time. He knows how powerful Night Sister magic can be. And Morgan having that level up, for use of a better term, is just another sort of weapon in his arsenal, if you like. But it was very interesting to see Morgan take that and to sort of see her be inducted as a Night Sister because up until this point, she hasn't actually looked like a traditional Night Sister. She's lacked the tattoos. And I thought they were just born like that, um, like the Pantorans. But it's actually a ritual that they undergo that gives them those uh, amazing tribal tattoos. So that was really interesting to see. And the synergy between um, Morgan receiving the Blade of Talzin compared to uh, Ezra building his lightsaber was really interesting because we have this dark side blade beautifully uh, crafted to look like um, a typical Japanese sword. And we know that it's Japanese swords and Japanese fighting styles that have influenced lightsaber design and combat. So you have that beautiful synergy then with Ezra building his lightsaber. As for the blue kyber crystal, I'm assuming in all those nooks and crannies, Hu Yang just keeps some spare crystals. Uh, Padawans, even Jedi Knights, they lose their lightsabers. So I think Hu Yang is a kind of droid to always keep at least five spares of everything. And I think he probably has a few lightsaber crystals lying around somewhere, if you could find them. But the moment where he gives Ezra the emitter part of the lightsaber, that's a duplicate of the one Kanan had, that just felt like a beautiful full circle. And a really touching thing for Hu Yang to do. Uh, there's such a humanity and such a presence to Hu Yang which I think is perhaps meant to suggest his age. Hu Yang is decades, he's not decades, he's centuries, centuries old. And I think he's sort of absorbed humanity over that time. He's been around so many Jedi, their masters, apprentices. And I think it's given him a real insight into human behavior, much more compared to, say, droids like C-3PO, who still are quite... Um, <laughs> they don't really you know Freaker doesn't really get human behavior and its intricacies yeah i think if you look at who you know he's, he's he's seen it he sort of met and said goodbye to sort of so many different masters and apprentices where it's almost that thing of the curse of like being immortal living forever you know you people think it's awesome but actually it can be quite tragic because you you have to say goodbye to everyone and they never say goodbye to you type of thing um so i think he does understand humanity a lot and yeah, it definitely sits with him. I think one of the things I picked up on was Mother Talzin just gets given these powers and given this blade, like the quick and easy path. As you would have spoke about before, the dark side of the force is quick and easy. Um, it might get your results faster, but are they, are they going to maintain themselves? Where here you see Ezra actually building his lightsaber, taking his time, looking for parts, has to ask for help to find the right part. Um, so that, I enjoyed that bit. Jason, what were your thoughts on on 
both Morgan Elsbeth and Ezra getting their new weapons. Yeah, um, like you say, it, it just goes to show the difference between the two. Um, seeing the way Huang sort of spoke about, um, you know, first of all, he's quite fussy and frustrated by Ezra sort of rooting around everywhere. And then the more he learns as he's talking to Ezra, we see him sort of soften and realise, you know, that Ezra's going down the right path. And then the way he then presents him with the, what he says was the spare that he kept in case Caleb or Caleb June ever needed the spare. So, um, you know, he's in a, he, he basically said it is the June, you know, the, the identical piece. So it brought us back to obviously Caleb. And it's something that I was actually really glad about this series is obviously Caleb's had a couple of men or um Caden's had a couple of mentions throughout the series, which he needed to because he was a big, big part of Rebels. But I'm glad that they didn't go down like flashback or or, or tried to get Freddie Prince Jr. to do anything because I think the loss of Kanan still feels very raw in the series. Um, and I think that, that just adds to, you know, they're, they're also sort of carrying on their mission because that's what he would have done. Um, so I, re I really like that they did that sort of throwback to him um, without having to go down the route of bringing in flashbacks or anything like that. Yeah, I think you bang on. I think we're able to sort of add quite a lot of emotional weight with the way they wrote the dialogue about it, um, without actually showing you an image of him, but they're actually made you remember what he did in the in the in the history. And I think it, it, they did a really good job of making you feel that emotional weight. Um, so after this, obviously, we get the attack on the Jedi Starfighter, where it's almost the two ties come out. They're able to hit. The Jedi Starfighter out of the blue, it's like a sitting duck. I love the fact that the Jedi Starfighter is covering the naughty, almost if it's protecting them. Um, and obviously that's the whole point is, you know, I think, you know, Sabine jeopardizes the ship to take out the ties in order to save the naughty, I think, because the naughty are a little bit at risk here. Uh, and obviously that's why Ezra and Ahsoka, everyone as well, using the force to keep the ship up above the naughty um, in their little, I wouldn't say speeders, but in the naughty's little bumper car. Caravans, whatever they're called. <laughs> That's what I'm going to call them. Uh, that's what you cut sort of. What were your thoughts on the TIE Fighter attacking? Obviously, you know, when we see the ship go down, what were your thoughts? Yeah, this little bit of sort of dread that was created, I suppose. What's quite interesting about this TIE Fighter attack is the tactics compared to some of the Imperial TIE Fighter attacks we've seen in previous um, Star Wars shows and movies. Fornoni sends out two, and the pilots are really good. I mean, they're really good compared to sort of the TIE fighters we see chasing the Millennium Falcon who can hardly get a hit in. These two are going up against Hu Young, who clearly has a lot of experience at the controls, and Sabine, who is a great pilot. We know that. And they are still managing to get very precise shots in towards the engines. And I think that shows that in the time that Fawn and his troops have been stuck on Peridia, 
they have not been lying idle. They have been practicing. They have been keeping up the drills and the training and are now better than the Imperials that were before. Fawn's troops are always an edge above regular Imperial troops, but these now seem to have gone a step even beyond that. So it's quite interesting watching the tactics of these ties. And yeah, it definitely creates a sense of dread because the Jedi uh, starfighter is sort of like a mother goose or a mother hen above all these little knotty caravans, protecting them and herding them. And these TIE fighters are coming in very quickly. And you want the knotty to be okay because they're adorable and they're innocent and they haven't done anything wrong. So everything is just, it's protect the knotty at all costs. And Sabine's like, right, forget the ship. It's protect the knotty. And she downs this really important piece of tech that could help them just to protect the Nazi. So it was a great moment. We've already seen the space whales get turned into sushi. So we had to protect the Nazi, didn't we? Well, I think the space whales got away. I don't want I don't want to picture space whales and sushi. Oh no. They were fine. They they all got away. But the but the the soy sauce for the space whale sushi would be like blue, like the hyperspace colours, wouldn't it? To do it in. We, yeah. I mean I'm not even vegetarian and I don't want to picture this. No. <laughs> Whales were fine. The naughty were fine. All the animals were okay. Yeah. To be fair, the whales did bugger off in the hyperspace as soon as they started getting blit- obliterated. I think one or two might have got turned into sushi, but the most of them got away. I think, which is good. I support that. Um, and I would never hunt a space whale, but I would eat the sushi if someone else killed it. Which so that's all right. Um, did anybody pick up on the? I think after this moment, there's sort of a. You know, after this, you know, we find out that Ezra. Sabine and Ahsoka have to sort of travel on foot or or, or ride the, the wild dog, um, the wild dogs to the to the um, Night Sister Fortress, I suppose. Um, and Ezra makes a comment about sort of Thrawn found the castle, woke the Night Sisters up, and that's when things become a problem, almost as if maybe. Thrawn and Ezra had been living maybe in some sort of peace before that happened. I don't know what your thoughts were on that, Kat. Um, we'll go to you first on sort of on, on just just the line you made about how the fact that Thrawn found the building, woke the Night Sisters up, and then that's when things went wrong. Yeah, it's a really interesting. It's quite an offhand comment, and I think Dave has done that deliberately. Either in this, either the script was meant to be. A little ambiguous to allow for room if the story needed to change or it's to allow creative freedom to a writer to fill in that time gap because it's this very interesting conundrum of Ezra and Fawn on the same Star Destroyer getting stuck on Peridia and then there's a massive time gap before Sabine and Ahsoka arrive. I mean, the time gap must be at least seven years. I think it's more around the 10-year mark. I think it's about a decade. And that means that Ezra was on the Chimera when it, I don't know, crashed or got into orbit. Um, I mean, either like everybody was knocked unconscious and he sort of dashed off 
or yeah, he was speaking to Fawn and perhaps not working together, but at the end of the day, on a world you don't know, you're going to team up with somebody who can help you survive. And that comment makes it, it does make it sound like Ezra and Fawn were the tentative peace. I don't know. But then they go poking around this fortress and Fawn sees a way for gaining power, whereas Ezra sees the influence of the dark side and the night sister magic. That's a very interesting, ambiguous plot point they've put into this episode. And like I said, I do wonder if it's to allow creative freedom for a writer to fill in that time frame. Is this Timothy Jean's chance to put in another Fawn novel, Fawn and Ezra, or is this even a chance for the comics to have a little bit of a um, look into this area of the past, of Fawn's past and of Ezra's past? Very interesting. I'm excited to see what they do just from that one line. Yeah, because, I mean, if you look at the State of Thrones Star Destroyer, you know, there's a lot of, you can see all the patchwork that's been done to it. So you got to think if, if they've arrived and they're obliterated, I could almost imagine them maybe having some sort of, I wouldn't say an alliance, but maybe some sort of alliance or at least a sort of a agreement. And then I imagine once Thrawn finds these Night Sisters and they're able to make a deal and start rebuilding these, rebuilding these starship and rebuilding these troops, maybe that's when it, you know, Ezra has to then start writing. No, no, it isn't. We have to start fighting again here. Um, Jason, I don't know what your thoughts were on the line and obviously on the possibilities of getting sort of the the backstory filled in of, you know, I don't know how many years it is, but it's at least a decade, I think, that they've been stuck on Paradia for. Yeah, it's an interesting sort of thing that's been alluded to that obviously everyone wants to know and like you say, it is the perfect opportunity for something like a novel, comic book, um, you know, the, the discover what's been going on in that time. Um, you know, we've known um, Fraud and Ezra, I think there always was this mutual respect. Um, and as we know with Fraud, he will, um, you know, if he shows, he's he's always got respect for people and um, for their, you know, the good that they can do. Um so I think it it would be a good opportunity. Timothy Zahn would be perfect to sort of fill in that with another Fawn novel. And let's face it, everyone loves a Fawn novel. Um, so for me, that would probably be the way to go with it. Um, fill in that blank um, that we didn't get. Uh, but it's um, it's one of those things, again you know do we need to know or is it you know um i know we do like to tie up those loose ends though definitely um and sort of after that we get the assault um of the jedi onto the night sister castle um cat just talk us through your thoughts on on the assault how thorn reacts to what the jedi are doing and 
the chaos that ensues and also that you've already mentioned about the chilling aspect of the, the zombie troopers, but just talk us through all your favourite points from the beginning of the onslaught up until we sort of we have our heroes separate. It's a very interesting beginning because Fawn asks Morgan, have the troops realised what they're going into? And Fawn has always been a very fair leader, even though he's an imperial, even though he's a chiss, he's a very fair leader. He does try to minimise loss of life. And he knows that the troopers he sends out aren't coming back. And yet almost everybody has um, signed up for this mission, has given their duty and pledge to Fawn. And I think it shows the amazing respect Fawn's troops have for him, that they are willing to sacrifice themselves, the ultimate sacrifice, for Fawn and his beliefs. It shows how much the troopers really believe in Fawn. Compare this to like the troopers on the Death Star, who don't care what Grand Moff Tarkin is doing. Compare this to even like the First Order Stormtroopers, um, the First Order officers. Ugh, much more sort of self-concerned rather than believing in an utmost cause. So I think that's very interesting that they show this utmost loyalty to Fawn. And Fawn knows Ahsoka is the, was the Padawan of Anakin Skywalker. He knows Anakin's um, tactics. There's this moment where he says he knows there'll be no negotiating with Sabine, uh, with Ahsoka. And he just sends out a massive wave of stormtroopers to take them on. And yeah, it's it, everything seems to be going to plan. And uh, Ezra, Sabine, Ahsoka, it's an, it's an amazing fighting sequence with Ezra and Sabine deflecting the bolts back at stormtroopers, where Ahsoka's actually sending most of them to the ground. She doesn't want to necessarily deflect them back. I think, uh, and then everything seems to be fine. Everything seems to be over, and the green glow in the lenses of the helmets was just so chilling, but also amazing. And those stormtroopers just rising up. Absolutely, I need to shout out now to all the stormtrooper performers, um, the actors and actresses, the stunt performers in those suits because. They're the ones who sold it. The body language completely changes once they become zombies and everything about their movements it becomes much more like a shuffle, there's less coordination and there's this sense of just this oncoming mass of troopers, not mindless almost. They don't quite fall when they're stabbed or when... Um, a bolt is defected at them, and the performance just absolutely sold it. Uh, I know there's a lot of fans of the Death Trooper novel, and a lot of fans have wanted zombie troopers in Star Wars, but I think there's also been a hesitation of, would it work, or would it sort of break the canon? Death Troopers is now Legends, after all. But it completely worked, and... The way it was written worked, the way it was performed completely sold it. And the, 
with the troopers, just this horde of zombie troopers just shuffling continuously up those corridors. And force users have got nothing. There's nothing they can do because it, it's they're not living beings anymore. It's You can tell they're scared. And if force users are scared, well, that's the time to hightail it out of there. Definitely. Jason, what were your thoughts on sort of on the on the Jedi assaulting the castle and then obviously the horrors they would encounter once they got inside? I I absolutely love this because uh, I think as a viewer, you already I think we all knew what was probably gonna happen. Um and when you know, let's face it, uh, Ezra, Sabine, and Ahsoka pretty easily dispatched both of those stormtroopers and then or um, night troopers and then obviously they they start to move away head on and then it was like like Kat said the acting and the the movement of those um, troopers as they came back to life um, and you suddenly thought they're the walking dead. This this is not a good thing, um, which obviously then lends itself to um, headshots and decapitations sticking to the obvious um, only way of dispatching a good zombie. Um, and it just it made it it gave it like something different that you would normally expect from Star Wars. Um, and I, I found it really interesting, you know, the way from when he sent the troopers off, it was like they all know what they're going into. So they, these guys knew that they were inevitably going to die, but that was not going to be the end. Um, so it was really quite a chilling sort of way that these loyal guys had done. But that's why Fraun is the great tactician and the great leader of men because, or troops because he is the one that earns the respect of his um, soldiers and also their loyalty, um, which is something, you know, that a lot of other leaders don't get, which is why they ultimately fail. And that, I think, is what makes Fraun a very dangerous enemy to anyone because he, because he demands that loyalty. Um, he's got a far superior fighting machine to take against his uh, his enemies. Um, so all in all, I just thought it was brilliant. Um, it was something different that we've not had normally in Star Wars. Obviously, we have had a bit of it in um, the Legends sort of stuff, but to have it here on the screen. And to be put into like the mainstream, I thought was brilliant. Um, they just added that extra bit to an already great episode. Do you feel that all? It's not just respect about his military aspect, but when I look at Throne, I also get the sense that he's almost there's a little bit like Charles Manson about him. Like it's it, it's very much like a cult. Like these people will die for you because because it, it, there's. There's very much a cold feeling going on. You know, when he speaks to Morgan Ellsworth and Morgan Ellsworth at the beginning, you know, says, you know, we'll do it for you because we love you. Type. Shouldn't use the word love, but, you know, the way she's looking at him, the way she's addressing him about her and the troopism, they're willing to do anything for him. It's because they'll do anything for him. And when he reminds them that it's for us, oh, for the Empire, he says, 
but he says that with almost a smirk on his face. And she almost looks at him to say, No, yeah, you know this is because like we love you, not because we love the Empire, because we love you. I don't know I don't know if you think there's a little bit of a a cult feeling going on here with what's going on with the throne and this Imperial Revenant that are left. Definitely. I don't know what you think about that, Jason. Then we'll go to Cat as well. What you think about that as well? Definitely, I agree with you there. And, you know, I think that was felt from the very introduction of Thrawn into this series, you know, when he marched down through the columns of troops and they were all chanting Thrawn, Thrawn, Thrawn. You know, he he demanded a, a different type of sort of... Lead, um, I don't know how you describe it even. But yeah, cult is about the nearest that you could do. You know, these guys were willing to throw down their lives for him. Um, and that's because Thrawn as a character is very enigmatic, which is what all cult leaders are like. Um, so yeah, I think that's definitely the case, you know, and it, it's a bit different to um, obviously the nearest character that's got the same sort of reaction is obviously the emperor um so hence why fraun is the heir to the empire cat what's your thoughts on the cult-like behaviors of the cult-like behavior of thorn i suppose than the cultist type behavior of of these troops in morgan i don't necessarily think that fraun would want to cultivate a cult leader kind of role for himself. He's almost quite reluctant in leadership roles, especially in the novels. But I do think his troops are sort of formed a cult around him. He's the only authority figure they've had for the last decade or so. And that respect for his authority, I think, could very easily develop into this cultist belief in form. Fawn is the one promising basically to get them home. And that's a very powerful um, promise to be um, almost guaranteeing these troopers. And that would definitely sort of create this cult worship of Fawn because he is doing all that he can, not only for himself, but for his troops. So I think that is got to be why we see the night troopers so willing to sacrifice themselves, chanting Fawn's name, because Fawn has got this cult figure status for them. Not necessarily, I think, like I said, something that would Fawn would want for himself, but it's something he would accept. It's like, well, if my troops want to picture me in that way, they can. Because at the end of the day, it's another tactical role for Fawn. Having that cultist belief from his troops only solidifies their loyalty further, only makes them more willing to sacrifice themselves for him and his cause. Whether or not he's as loyal to the Empire as he portrays himself to be is another question. Fawn always maintained a front of doing things for the Empire, but a lot of what he did did benefit either the Ascendancy or it certainly didn't harm the Ascendancy. So I think with Fawn, you'll see a motive 
on the outside, you'll, you'll see what he wants you to see. But there's always going to be secret motives behind every action he takes. Definitely. Definitely. I think going on sort of the, our next point, um, we'll go to you, Jason, with this one first. So what were your thoughts on sort of Ezra getting aboard the Star Destroyer and able to do what Ezra does best and eventually hook up with home one? And then what were your thoughts on sort of Sabine finally taking the advice of Hugh Yang, maybe saying, you know, stick together. And which helps Ezra get on the Star Destroyer, knows that he'll be all right there. And she turns around and comes back to, to assist her master um, in, in, in surviving this onslaught. Yeah, for me, um, that straight away, um, you know, she took the advice um, that Huang had given and she realised that for her and for Ahsoka to survive, Ahsoka needed Sabine. Um, and, you know, this was where the Jedi and the Master, and also I think that's possibly what gave her the confidence as well um, to you to actually get the Force to work with Ezra, was that she was in a place now where she was finding her place. Um, you know, she had the belief from Ezra as well as um, Ahsoka, um, you know, he must, the only way that worked was he was willing to make the leap with the complete trust that Sabine was going to be there to carry on with the push. Um, and I think that gave her that extra confidence. And I think then seeing Ahsoka, it was, I cannot walk away from my master. I've got to stay there. Um, and that's where, you know, Sabine really has maybe found her way to the Force. Yeah, definitely. And then let's just sort of come to the end. I'll start with you, Kat. Sort of, what's your thoughts on sort of... Let's talk about the, the different endings that we've got because we, we sort of got like three endings in one, didn't we? So, you know, if we take the first ending, which is Thrawn is now in the known Star Wars galaxy and they've headed straight to Dathomir and it looks like they're ready to unload that cargo. Um, what's your thoughts on what that cargo could be and what on earth is going to happen on Dathomir and what is Thrawn going to do next? I love the cinematography of this particular part of the ending. That way the Eye of Sion sort of uh, eclipses Dathomir is really compelling as a shot. I also love the cinematography then. We see inside the Chimera these rows and rows of caskets, cargo containers. What are they? But felt very much Indiana Jones and the secret warehouse. Uh, this is like the big question, isn't it? What is in those ca cargo containers? And why has Fawn gone straight to Daphomir? Uh, why didn't he link up with the rest of the Imperial fleet who are sort of on the Outer Rim and the Unknown Regions? They need him. Captain Pallion's having a panic attack about how much he can stall in the Shadow Council. <laughs> Fawn is coming, I promise. Fawn is coming. <laughs> um, so it makes me think that what's 
most likely in those caskets, I think the caskets, is the Night Sisters. I think maybe that they were either put in stasis or they're going to be reanimated through dark magic and Fawn is finalizing his deal with the Great Mothers. Uh, Fawn always did keep to his word. So if he promised the Great Mothers that he would bring them home to Daphomir, that's why he's there. I I don't know if now Fawn will have an alliance with the Night Sisters. Uh, I mean, the zombie army and Night Sisters would kind of make him unstoppable. But I don't know if Fawn would do that or if he is going to rejoin with the rest of the Imperial fleet because there's still this... Like, one part we haven't come to in this era that hasn't been mentioned because I don't think it's been formalised is after the war, Mon Mothma basically allows the Empire to exist within their own region of space. So they have an area of the galaxy bordering the unknown regions. That's Imperial... She leaves it as Imperial territory. So Mon Mothma signs some paperwork and agrees... You can still exist, but only in this part of the galaxy. None of that has been mentioned in the current timeline of the Mandalorian and the Soka, which makes me think it hasn't happened yet. Fawn is the kind of threat that would make Mon Mothma sort of sign a negotiation between the Empire and the New Republic. So that could be... I think where we're heading and Fawn will be the threat to the New Republic that will make them sign over a bit of the galaxy and come to that tentative peace. Yeah, I, I wonder if I assume that whatever's in those cargo boxes maybe has to get somewhere fast. You know, if it is got bodies in it, maybe they need to you either have a lifespan once you move them from where they were. So I, I think the Night Sisters are the are the dead stormtroopers which they're gonna give them another army if he wants to resurrect them maybe who knows um but also these great mothers maybe haven't been this part of the galaxy before either so it could be very interesting um jason what do you think obviously i felt that throne was quite um when he found out it was a sort of tano and that she is anakin skywalker's apprentice he was obviously quite worried about that threat what do you think he's gonna do when he finds out that there's a luke skywalker running around the galaxy who actually destroyed the Emperor. Yeah, it's um, it's going to be interesting. Um, I think I've, I don't know whether I've discussed it on here with you, but I've certainly discussed it with a few of my friends. That I, um, I've got this big thing that I love the idea of us finding out more about what happened to Luke leading up to, um, obviously, before he turned his back on being a Jedi. Um, and I, I, I'm still really, really rooting for, I'd love to see something centered around Luke, um, which would bring perfectly into this. Um, and I'm still banging on the drum that I'd love to see Sebastian Stan play uh, uh, like middle, the only way I can describe it is like middle-aged Luke. 
Um, and I, I'm perfectly happy. In this case, I am happy for a recasting um, because obviously I think at, the, at this moment in time, he could pull off, you know, the role perfectly. It would sit fine with the look with Mark Hamill. Um, Mark Hamill's actually said that he'd be happy for that to happen. And I think it would be a way of sort of giving Luke the journey so that maybe I don't want to say that it'll sort out the fault with the sequel, um, with the sequels, but it would at least help possibly show how Luke get to where he got to in those sequels. Um, and, you know, a war with Thrawn as Luke's trying to rebuild the Jedi um, and the whole heir to the Empire story. Obviously, there's issues with bits of that um, because, obviously, you've got Carrie Fisher's obviously no longer about and wouldn't be able to play the younger Leia. So, and there is an issue because Carrie's no longer about, you know, would you want to recast her? Um, so there's lots of issues that could cause it not to happen, but it's just, it's a story I'd love to see told. Um, and, you know, as you say, yeah, from when he found out who Ahsoka Tano was, there was definitely, um, but he made the mistake of sort of, he thought that she was going to be very much like um, her master so he could read what she was going to do. Um, and I don't think, you know, Ahsoka, although obviously trained by Anakin, is a very different person to Anakin Skywalker. Um, but I, yeah, it's it's something. There's so many routes that this story could go. Yeah, there definitely is. Um, another one of our endings, um, Jason was. Ezra on home one, meeting up with Hera and Chopper. Obviously, where do you think this is going to go next and what were your thoughts when you've seen it happen? I, I love this. Um, one, straight away, it sort of, it was like we'd gone full circle. Um, like you said earlier, that they used the same ship or the same star, whether it was the same ship or the same star of ship that Balin had turned up in. It was a, it was almost like the whole sequence again, but this time it was Hera that was going to meet this potential threat. Um, I did have one issue because obviously when Ezra appeared as like the night trooper straight away, Hera's gun went up and she's got this security detail behind her. And I'm sorry, but if you're a security detail and you see a threat coming, you, you all got your guns up pretty quick. Whereas there was sort of almost a delay. So Hera's got her gun up. And then all of a sudden, it's almost five, six seconds later that he's like, oh, she's got hers up. And they all put theirs up almost at the same time. That just felt a little bit not realistic. And then um, obviously, you know, you see this trooper. And I think I worked out pretty quickly who it was. Um, because basically Ezra's used his favourite trick, nick an armour and get me out of here. And then the way Chopper 
which I think goes to show the relationship that Chopper and Ezra have always had. And Chopper sort of sent straight away who this was. He moved forward. Um, and for the first time, I didn't really understand his chattering because quite often in this season, in this season particularly, I've sort of known, because obviously it's well known that Dave Filoni provides the vocals that are then turned into the chatter for um, Chopper. And, for example, when Chopper was deploying the um, tracker in the few at um, middle of the season, I sort of could almost hear Filoni's voice. But this time, I couldn't really hear or set, get an idea of what he was saying to Ezra. But I absolutely loved it. And, obviously, when the helmet comes off and you hear Hera say, Ezra... And I love it. it was one of those things. There's been a criticism in the past of, like, for example, when Mayfield swore, um, and it was like, yeah, you know, bringing in slang and all this sort of thing. And but to hear Ezra say, "Hi, Hera," that was, and it sounded like the voice from Rebels. It just. It was Ezra through and through, um, and no, and it's sort of seeing him back with Hera, um, who, to all intents and purposes, had become his adopted mother. Um, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to seeing where that goes, and obviously, you know, what sort of effect Ezra could have on Jason Sandula. Definitely. Cat obviously the third ending is um sort of two endings together if you want to, you know what happens to the the people we first met, which is Bale and Skull and Shin Hattie. Shin, you know, instead of joining up with Throne or trying to follow our master, you know, although our master said go go with Throne, you know, she decides to go with the people who maybe match her the most right now. So she seeks out those bandits on the planet Paradia. It looks like she's going to join them, maybe some sort of leader. Um, maybe turn over a new leaf working with them. And then obviously Balin is on the statues of the Mortis gods. Um, it looks like that's what he's been after all along. You know, we see, um, again, I get the name wrong. I don't know if it's Morai or Morag, but the, the bird of, this, of the, the sister is there. So I think it's definitely Mortis god related. So what's your thoughts on what Balin's after and what could come? And obviously, is Ahsoka being put on this planet to stop him? And what do we think of Shin's choice to join with the bandits rather than go back to Throne? This was such an incredible shot with Balin standing on the arm of the father outstretched, pointing towards something. And not what I was expecting. Uh, I thought Balin would find like a space dragon of wisdom or like the Bendu, but it felt like Balin's journey was almost just like beginning. He'd found this guide marker to point him in the right direction because if you follow the path of the father's hand, it looks like he's pointing to something, a, a particular mountain in the distance, and there's something glinting. So that must be Balin's eventual destination, and he's got a very long journey to get there. Um, 
it was a beautifully cinematic moment. You have the father, the son, the daughter has been damaged. Now, there's two ways to interpret this. That could mean simply that the statues have been there for a very long time and they've just been corroded by the natural elements, or that the balance on this planet is unbalanced. So the father always represented balance, but the only way he could do that was through the daughter and through the son. With the daughter's statue damaged, that leaves only the son, who connected to the dark side, makes me think Peridia is unbalanced. So perhaps that's from the Nightis's influence. I think and the I think with the statues, I think you know, the statues it, obviously it's it's damaged, but it's only damaged in one area. Like she's completely gone. So I think it's one of two things. Either what you said there, because of the darkness linked with the Night Sisters, like they destroyed it to not have that there. Or I think when the sister has given her life and her essence to save Ahsoka in the Mortis arc, I think that's then led to her being eroded off that cliff. Maybe. I mean, that would also make sense ties into that mythos of the Mortis arc, which is one of the craziest arcs in the Clone Wars, if not in all of Star Wars. But it's so interesting and the possibilities it leaves for Balan's journey and discovery it almost seem endless. It's obviously very tragic that Ray Stevenson sadly has not got to see the outpouring of love his character has received throughout this story. Uh, his acting has been incredible in every episode, the gravitas, the mystery he's brought to Balan's skull. And part of me hopes that they actually won't recast the character. And maybe Balan just doesn't make his doesn't make his journey. Maybe Shin picks it up uh, when she perhaps feels her master's passing. But Either I would like to see it continued in the books, but I don't think I want to see it recast because that ending where he's standing on um, the hand of the father, it just feels, it feels like a really good ending that honours Ray Stevenson's role as Balin. But we will see what the writers do. Yeah, I think for me, I'm the opposite of you two guys and I just feel like, you know, I don't think it, I don't think it disgraces him you know, that he's tragically passed away. And, you know, it is very tragic. And, you know, and he's been absolutely fantastic in this series. But I think, I think by, you know, let's, let's let somebody else in the, go through the cast and they'll pick the right person to take back on the role. Um, and like finish the, you know, I imagine Dave Filoni's got this character's journey planned out. So like, I think it would be a disservice to raise work so far and the Dave's work to sort of not finish the story, if that makes sense. Yeah, I actually, although I, like I've said, I, I don't want him recast. I, I see exactly where you're coming from, Pete, and that's why I'm sort of torn in how I want to see it go. Um, like you say, the 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 character of Balon Skull has been created by two people. One has been the fantastic acting by Ray, two has been the brilliant writing by Dave Filoni. Um, you know, and Dave Filoni's created this character that uh, 
I hate it when they refer to him as a villain. Because to me, Balin Skull's not a villain. He is on a different path that's not necessarily on the right side, but I think he generally has a a good reason for why he's taking the journey that he's got. Um, you know, this guy's been through a lot of stuff that none of us can really comprehend where it's come from. And I think that is where Ray's done a brilliant job. Um it would if they can find the right actor and they can carry on this story, then I think it would be great. Um I do the way it's been shot and filmed, it just uh, it felt like they'd it felt like Balin had come to the end of his journey just with that that image to me. Although at the same time, as I've said, it could be that he was just looking and he was closer to where he wanted to be. Um, but I think it, it's going to be a hard decision for them. And as I said, yeah. they, they've got the they have got the choice of you know allowing it to have been just Ray and then. Do do Balin and Shin's story in the um, novelizations or comic books because it, the one thing I would say is to me their journey with or their relationship with Ahsoka and with Sabine and and even with Ezra it sort of reached a conclusion that although not completely satisfactory. It doesn't have to be revisited. See, I'm, but I'm because the they're such great characters. I, I get the Ezra, but I think like, Sabine the, and Ahsoka are on are stuck here, and they've used the symbolism of, of of the bird, you know, the the sister's bird, which ties in, the, which is part of the mortar story. He's on the mortar statues. That's what the scene at the end here. Seen actually, the power he's after that you thought wasn't real. It's actually the mortises. That's the big cliffhanger. Right. And I feel if we don't do that, then like then we. Don't write about Ahsoka as being ever again because that is actually what they're on that planet for, and that's why Anakin's there watching them as well because he's there to keep an eye on it as well because it's important. All right, yeah. I, I, I just feel that like you either move forward with the story or you kill it. But if you start to change it here, it's where it's going to get really, really muggy. The Ahsoka and Sabine just turn up and be like, "Oh yeah, we dealt with that problem with the Motus Gods. It's all good now, guys." Like, like, do you know what I mean? I feel like you've just spent a lot of time. You spent this whole series setting it up, really. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get where you're coming. As I say, it, I don't know what the answer is, and in the long run, it's going to be Filoni, Favreau, and the powers to be at Lucasfilm that will come up with the solution. Yeah. I hope they do it justice. Do, 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 um, do, do, do you think a recast would be disrespectful? Is that why you don't like? I don't. Think, I don't. No, I don't think it's disrespectful because it's no one's fault what happened with Ray. You know, and. You know, the story, I think even him as an actor would want the story to carry on. But I just, I don't know, I just feel they don't necessarily have to recast. Um, but I hope they don't use that as an excuse because obviously, you know, we've heard them say, oh, we don't, we don't want to go down and recast because this is a completely different situation. You know, tragically, they lost the actor. And to be fair, you know, recasts have worked in the um, past. You know, um, I'm trying to remember the film that um, he fledged. I mean, to be doing. fair, 
they have. Ahsoka herself's a recast. Ezra's a recast. Hera's a recast. If we really want to get down to it, like it's it's three big parts of the yeah, show. Yeah, I don't uh, recasts. Yeah, you know? I, I don't. And the see recast. Well, but but it's like but Thrawn, Thrawn's not a recast. Do you know what I mean? Bo-Katan's not a recast. So when you look at it that way, yeah, they've put themselves in that situation. I think with with that, looking at it that way, maybe I think. Yeah, it is. In the long run, it's like I say, we can only, we can sit here going over and over it. Um, but what we're, you know, the sad thing is we're going to have to wait now till the actor's strike is over to even get an inkling of what's going on. Um, yeah, you know, definitely. Um, you know, I'm, I would say we're looking at 2025, 2026 before we even get any idea of what it's going to be. Um, obviously, next year, I think they've already got pretty planned out. Um, obviously, Filoni had all, um, Favreau had already said that Mando um, season four is written. It just needs to be filmed. Um, and obviously, that's going to tie into what we've seen here. So, yeah, they're going to have a plan in place, but obviously, you know, where they go and also with the way the industry is changing, um, you know, because I think we're going to see the effects of this strike for many, many years to come now. And also yeah. the effects on the way they work is going to be felt for a long time. If you think of the strike, you know, you've got like, you know, so that's just finished, but like, Mandalorian would probably be definitely already in production by now, but it's not. Yeah. So you know, Mandalorian could they could have you know down the line, Mandalorian will get sorted and finished really, and it should have been, which means Dave and Filoni, so which means Dave and John Favreau, they'll move on to the next stuff later. So it's going to yeah. have a counter effect on everything next. So you know if Dave Filoni was going to do an Ahsoka series two, which was just going to be based on Paradia. You know, and Ahsoka Sabine, Shin and Baden. And then also do the Hit the Empire stuff. Now that's going to be even more delayed because both can't progress at the current time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be quite tricky. Um Kat, what's your thoughts on sort of what would be next? Like, do you think we would get an Ahsoka season two, which would tell the story of Ahsoka and Sabine? And then do you think we would get the Hit to the Empire movie after Mandalorian season four? Which would tell the story of Thrawn in the new galaxy in our current Star Wars galaxy, and obviously, if that is the case, Dave Filoni's very influential in both of those. Yeah, I think there's got to be an Ahsoka season two because there is no other way to continue Ahsoka and Sabine's journey. Otherwise, Mandalorian season four, I suspect, might even pick up a little bit on the New Republic story with Hera, Momofma, Ezra. I think there's room there for those characters to cameo. Um, I think Dave Filoni's film would make sense to have Fawn as the villain. Uh, it would also provide the budget necessary for some kind of galactic final galactic conflict. I don't know if he's shaping up for 
is he shaping up for the Battle of Jakku? I'm trying to remember when the Battle of Jakku happens in the timeline. That should have already happened. I think it's that two years after. Right, okay, so if that's already I happened. Think... Okay, so maybe one final conflict between the New Republic and the part of the Empire led by Fawn, which is how we get the Imperials then sort of chased off to the edge of the Unknown Regions. But the only way for Ahsoka's story to progress is through her own series. She needs to be the focus alongside uh, Sabine and Balin and Shin on Peridia. So I think you've got three strands there that need to happen separately and then maybe intertwine at a later date. Definitely. I think regardless of where you land, I think the future is very bright and I think the the story of this season has been fantastic. I think the the hope it's left for future stories, it's it's sort of left Star Wars in a position where we've got a lot of avenues to go down, which is fantastic. Obviously, it's just a shame about the writer strike that's now finished. And now, obviously, the actor strike, which might delay us getting our juicy hands-on, juicy story. Um, well, I'd rather have the actors and the writers have fair wages oh, before seeing new yeah. content. 100%. So I'm glad the writers have come to a fair deal, and I wish the actors' union as much luck as they can have to get that fair deal as well. I think they will. I think it'll be a wild mind, but I think, you know, because they've caved and given it to the writers and like they rightly should, you know, it hasn't really cost that much to give the writers what they deserve. Um you know, I think I think they will they will meet with the actors and that will get done, but um it's just a case of how how long the big the handful of executives at the top want to drag this out for because like I said, the longer it drags out doesn't hurt them Exactly, but it hurts hurts the hurts the people underneath them the most. Um, you know, if it didn't, if it was the other way around, this would have been sorted out straight away. But you know, that's that's the way it is. But it is what it is. It means we're going to get stars a bit later, which is, you know, a bit not sad. But you know, like I said, when we've got we when we've had we had we you know we've been eating delicious steaks and it's so good and it makes hungry for more. Is what I'm getting at, and you know we're gonna to have to wait a little bit now for the for the next juicy state to come our way. Um, Kat, any closing thoughts on the Ahsoka series and this episode? I think the Ahsoka series has just been an absolute triumph from start to finish. Dave Filoni's best writing to date, dare I say, and I think it's focused on beloved characters that we know and have seen previously it's continued their stories their character arcs in a way that works it's justified and it's brought in new characters who feel like they've always been part of the Star Wars mythos everything has worked even some of the crazy stuff like the zombie death troopers um and yeah it's just I've loved it like I said, my parents have loved it, even though they haven't seen the Clone Wars on Rebels. And I hope that people who have just perhaps come in to watch Ahsoka do go back and watch the Clone Wars and Rebels to get that even deeper understanding of this series. But Ahsoka has been... It's either on par or it may even be Andor for me. Ooh, very good praise. Very good praise over here. Jace. What is your sort of final thoughts on the episode and the season as a whole? Um, 
but yeah, it's just left me um, wanting more. Um, as Kat said, Baloney has excelled himself here, um, and I think it just goes to show how how much he respects the history of Star Wars, but also is willing to create new things for everyone. Um, and uh, he is just brilliant at it. Um, you know, the as I said already, you know, the character of Balon Skull that he's created is a far more, he's not your straightforward good, bad guy. It, it's just been brilliant. And it's Filoni's skill in creating that that's really made this series. Um, I just look forward to seeing where they're going. Um, it's going to be hard to be patient, but you, we're going to have to be. Um, uh, yeah, I just think they've done a brilliant job. Um, and I think they can, they should all hold their heads high, um, in what they've achieved. And I, you know, there's going to be people, as there always is in the Star Wars community, that are going to have issues with bits. But in the long run, you've got to respect that these guys have been given the job of creating this story. And I think they've done us proud and created a story that has been brilliant and done justice to the characters that we already love. Definitely. Uh, we will wrap it up there. Um, Jason, where can the people find you on social media? At Hondo Ling. And Kat, where can the people find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter at Kat Kyla, where I'm always happy to talk Star Wars and anything Kylo Ren. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter or X at Jory Jedi Pete. You can find the podcast on Twitter or X at Boars Star. You can also find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Star Wars Podcast. If you're listening on Apple Music, um, so Apple Podcast, I suppose it's called now, or on Spotify, uh, please leave us a top review. Um, makes us three smile quite a lot. Only takes you a second, but makes us smile for for hours and helps people find the show. Thank you very much for listening. May the force be with you all. And remember, always tell that to Kanja Club. Hello, Star Wars listeners. This is Savannah Odit. You might know me as host of the Dorky Diva Show with my co-host Brian Balance. I am also producer of The Adventures of the Zolan Dart, which is a Star Wars-inspired audio drama that we produced over the last year. If you love stories uh, about smugglers, courage, heroic characters, and maybe a few foes along the way, you should go to thedorkydivashow.com and listen to The Adventures of the Zolan Dart today. Shout! We've got your pigs. Were any of the critters harmed? What did you do now? I didn't do anything. I just freaked out for no reason. It was nice doing business with you again. Maybe next time we could deliver something less... Temperamental. <laughs> now, what you call temperamental, I call fun. Hey, is there a place nearby where I can make some repairs? Uh, oh yeah, three clicks south of here, you'll find a small spaceport. Uh, they, they should have what you need, as long as it's nothing too big. Dynamic class. My stars, you don't hear about many of those still being spaceworthy. It's been in my family for a while. She's pretty great. 
Uh, any chance you have a hover cart we can use to load up? I'll check out the holonet to see if anything new has come up in the sector. My name is Sereth Khan. I am the chief here on Gamai. My people and I have been experiencing food shortages out of late due to unforeseen natural occurrences. We are looking to hire someone. I say we take this one. The pay is great and it's the type of job we're familiar with. Welcome, welcome. You must be Captain Otoa. I've already sent word to Pak to expect you in the next cycle or so. You told him we were coming before we even accepted the job. That's rather presumptuous, isn't it? Uh, perhaps, though once I received confirmation that you were interested and on your way here, I couldn't help but hope. Fair enough. Well, we'll be back as soon as we can. Well, that's not good. Is that blaster fire right here? Ah, so you're the one. Captain, it sounds like they want to do this the hard way. <laughs> I love when they got some fight in them. Oh, uh, this is bad. This is bad. We're about to have a lot of company. I'll see you soon.